2: There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football.
3: You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on The Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on The Athletic Podcast Network. This episode is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code TheAthleticPod. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined as always by Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen. You know, we come to you after another sad day for Raider Nation with Tuesday's passing of legendary coach John Madden. You know, a man that really alongside Al Davis is is the guy that brought the Raiders kind of into what they became. You know, that dynasty of the 70s and was the coach for the first Super Bowl championship, was the coach for all those AFC title games, all those battles with the Steelers, the Dolphins. And I think, you know, for the larger NFL, was really the face of the NFL for many years in his work as a broadcaster and lending his name to the Madden video game. So for the Raiders, you know, a sad day, obviously. It'll be probably an emotional week again for them this week when they go to play the Colts. And, um, you know, as, as they, everybody says goodbye to, to Coach John Madden.
2: Yeah, definitely a great man. Just his energy always came through, whether you saw him on TV or in person. Uh, had three phases to his career. A great coach, great broadcaster. And kind of lived on the video game and just um just a guy who uh you know bled football I loved football and i came across whenever he talked uh, either on tv or in person and just um a guy who really meant a lot for the sport in terms of his growing popularity over the last 30 40 years so uh definitely a loss for the raiders a so rare Raider nation but also a loss for the whole uh football world really
3: yeah and i mean i think it really comes through when you just see about how many people are, are commenting on it how many people have, have taken the time to you know, share their memories of him and um i mean just see he, he he really touched everybody in the sport.
4: Yeah, I mean, we saw a lot of uh, current uh, Raiders players, you know, tweet out. Something else that was kind of cool was uh, Mark Davis last night. He uh, lit the torch inside of Legion Stadium, which is a torch he built for Al Davis. Um, I like think he said he lit it at, at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, which was, you know, the original time for Monday Night Football. Um, so it's kind of like an ode to both Al and, and John and uh, you know, various people throughout the league, of course. I mean, he's an icon. Um you know, in multiple phases, uh, like you said, we can consider his coaching career and then his, his broadcasting career um, as well. Uh, I mean, for a younger guy like me, like I didn't—I was obviously far too young to see John Madden, the coach, and uh, I remember him as a commentator. But really, his, his biggest impact uh, for me was always, you know, kind of the Madden video game. Um, it, as weird as it sounds, but it was like, you know, for people like me who was growing up, kind of in that era, and, and a bunch of other young kids, I'm sure that was kind of like their way of getting into football a little bit more outside of watching it, you know, playing it and getting more into the strategy of it and learning who the players were and the coaches were. And I mean, he was all a part of that. And so, you know, his impact kind of hit in multiple ways. And, uh, you know, I, I know the, the all Madden documentary that they made at broadcast um, on Christmas Day, not, not too long ago uh, on Fox, I believe. Um, I think that's going to be available for streaming to start the new year early on in January. So, it'd be cool to kind of go back and watch that documentary and, and kind of see some of you know the stuff from earlier in his life for for people like me that that weren't allowed to to see it.
5: I think one of my favorite things about Madden was just how easily he was able to explain things in football and make complicated things sound really easy to learn. And he you know he was just so excited about teaching people the game, and he just did it in a, in a way that was just so you wanted to follow along with him and it wasn't condescending in in any way and he just made people want to learn more about the game and he you know he certainly was a huge reason why i got into football listening to him and then you know just playing the video game and being a, a big fan of the game um growing up so yeah really sad day uh, might be the most influential people in football at least from uh, my generation so yeah r.i.p to one of the goats to me, this is where
0: it all starts. You see, the, you know, seven-man sled. It's the greatest game in the world. Dick Stockton with John Madden. Hi, everybody. I'm Vin Scully, along with John Madden. And Pat Summerall here with John Madden. Oh, that's right. they get the blitz. Oh! Freeman. And Freeman to the 40 or 25-yard line. Boy, he zipped that thing in
2: there.
0: I tell you, you thought about touch pass. He didn't put any touch on that. He put all the mustard on the broth. And Antonio Freeman is used to catching those. There is the big at, turkey. Uh, yeah, and that and that turkey's so big and so many legs that that's a two man job. Yep. Look, look at the size of this turkey. Now, there, there is a turkey. You know, we got some legs on there. I mean, here's a leg, here's a leg. Then we got three here, we got three here. Okay, now we have the award. And what we do is every Thanksgiving, to the outstanding player, we give the turkey oh, leg award. Oh. I want to talk to John Mann, Pat on oh, That's You got up. Up. You, you got it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yo, what's up top, fellas? Yeah. <laughs> You're up on top when you make hey, catches man. like that. Hey, y'all know I put on a show for y'all two old heads, man. Yeah. The, the front seven, the line, and the linebackers of the 49ers just oh. whipped this ram offense. Oh, here comes some airplane. <laughs> oh, They know what they're doing? Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, they were close to us, but they were close to each other. But they, would, they just went right by our eyes. They were at eye level, I think. Where are they now? Is that a replay of them? No. Huh? No. Holy moly. So they're we're turning good? around. There they go. Huh? <laughs> I hope they don't come back. I've had enough of that. That's as close as I've been to an airplane in 18 years. I'm going to say you don't fly, do you? Uh, Bill Belichick is the defensive coordinator of the Giants and this guy is a very good coach and they're talking about him as a possible head coach in the National Football League this year. He's only 38 years old. Very intense. The core of it was, was football. But when you can play it for a while and then go on with your life's work and it's still football, you're the luckiest guy in the world.
3: Yeah, I'm sure um, this week's game will be an emotional one for the Raiders. I, I would imagine we'll probably see some kind of tribute, um, especially the 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 season, the regular season finale. We'll call it the regular season finale when they get back to Allegiant Stadium for uh, that Week 18 game against the uh, the Chargers. Uh, you know, imagine there'll be a nice tribute to him there, and I'm sure we'll see some something on the uniform, the helmets, or something to to uh, pay tribute to John Madden this weekend. But I mean, let's talk about this game that. It's ridden a bit of a roller coaster in terms of availability with COVID outbreaks, really kind of on both teams. It started with the Colts, where they were looking like they might be without several big names if you go, went based on the previous rules, the policy where, especially for unvaccinated players, if you tested positive, you would be out for 10 days. And they're a team that has, you know, notable unvaccinated players in their quarterback, Carson Wentz, uh, Quentin Nelson. Those guys uh, didn't look like they were going to be available. Carson Wentz testing positive. The the news came out on Tuesday. I believe the test was on Monday. And Darius Leonard, obviously, is a guy who is, is still on the list. But Quentin Nelson was activated on Wednesday with the new NFL policy that once you test positive, it's it's just five days. There's no even requirement to test negative or test out. If you test positive, five days later, if you're still not, if you're not symptomatic, it, it comes down to symptoms, you're able to just be activated. So Quentin Nelson will be available for the Colts. The expectation it's sounding like out of India is that Carson Wentz is likely to be able to start. Again, comes down to the symptoms, and we'll see what happens. We'll see if Darius Leonard, is he's able to make progress and he's able to come back. And I know Raider fans are going to be angry about that, that the the Colts looked like they might be without Wentz, Leonard, and Nelson. Those are three of their four most important players alongside Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that's three of their most important players, probably, clearly. But it looks like they might have him. But obviously, on the flip side, the Raiders did have a lot of guys go on the list this week. And, uh, you know, those players, their linebacker room was pretty much wiped out would imagine there'd be hope that those guys are able to play on Sunday now.
4: As far as um, the new protocol, it doesn't change like a, a, a ton for the Raiders because, because their whole roster uh, is vaccinated per interim coach, Rich Versace. so the whole time they, if they test negative, they could have gotten off the list, uh, whether it was one day later or two days later, or whatever the period ended up being. But for those guys who have been on for a while, you know, guys like maybe a a Roderick teamer or, or Jermaine Illuminor, Guys like that who who maybe they haven't been tested negative, they'd be eligible to return now. think you out there, like, keep in mind with that is, like, some of these guys, like, might actually not be feeling well. Like Jermaine Luminor, he was tweeting out when he was added to the reserve for COVID-19 list last week that, you know, he was asking for, like, r- remedies for the symptoms that he was having. And so, like, even at the five-day window, if a guy is sick, he's, he's not coming back. So th- that's kind of always out there. But for the Raiders, a team that's fully vaccinated, this new rule, like, isn't that... Big of a change. Uh, I think it's more of a thing for a team like the Colts that has several unvaccinated guys that now just opens the window to where those guys are automatically out if, if they get added to the list during a game week. The change
3: would be though, like when they played the Browns. Baker Mayfield said all along he was, you know, he was vaccinated and was asymptomatic. But he couldn't play just because he couldn't get a negative test where so you could be asymptomatic, but you still can't get that negative test. So what this does change is a guy that tests positive on Monday and is asymptomatic, but still can't test negative. Now it doesn't matter. That's the big change, even for the the vaccinated guys, is that you don't have to worry about like if you're still feeling fine, you can do what you need to do, isolate for your five days and you know that you're going to be back on Sunday uh, as long as you keep still keep feeling fine. You don't have
4: to stress out about being able to get that negative test. Yeah, and the Raiders had six guys go on Monday, so that's just pretty, you know, for them, like if, and again, I don't, I don't know if how those guys are feeling, but like if, if those guys are asymptomatic or some of them are, then then they definitely will be eligible to, to come back after that window regardless of their, their testing status. Because that's no longer a requirement to get off the list, like you don't have to test anymore, you know, it's just that time period and then you're good to go if you're feeling good to go.
2: The league obviously wants to get these games in. I think um, my big thing is obviously it changes a little bit of the stigma that was associated with the guys who were not vaccinated. I think they were kind of thought of as guys who weren't doing the most of their team and kind of were more at risk of losing, you know, missing a game due to the longer time. But now they're really all in the same boat. So I think teams seems that the Colts definitely um, benefit from this. And, um, you know, like you said, I, mean, I also think there's now a more gray area because now – I mean, I'm not saying there will be, but there might be some pressure from teams. It's a big game. They have a guy play. Maybe he's feeling 80%, not 100%, but there's no need for a test. So I think the uh, the whole year has been kind of a, like you mentioned earlier, a coaster in terms of the way the tests have gone and what you need to do to get clearance to play. So um, I do think there's more gray area now. But again, the league wants to play these games. CDC changed their protocols, so they're following suit with that. So yeah exactly it's it's a big change for the
5: the NFL they were working with the CDC and if you know they were truly going with the science and they know that these guys aren't contagious after five days you know reportedly most of these guys are asymptomatic then it it does make sense to change the policy and it ultimately would be good for the league because you know some of these games with um, these backups have been pretty terrible like that in Miami and Saints game and you know, if the science really says they're they're not contagious, then it just makes sense for them to come back. And I know Raider fans are probably pretty angry. But at the same time, you know, like you already faced Nick Mullen and uh, Drew Locke, you know. And for this pivotal game, I know it'd be easier to face, you know, a backup quarterback and not seeing Darius Leonard. But, you know, if you want to make the playoffs, you know, you want to beat a team that you want to get in and deserve to get in. So.
2: You
3: <laughs> Do you know how many times the Raiders have made the playoffs in the last couple decades? I think you just take a playoff berth however you get it. I mean, they haven't played a, a playoff game with their starting quarterback since uh, since the Super Bowl.
5: It just feels a little less cheap. You know. If you you beat a a, a real team you know that's, that's full-strength Indianapolis, but I, I get why you know, people are bad about it.
4: I also think it's like, the league as a whole had, like, over 100 guys get on the COVID list – or reserve COVID list on Monday. Like, this is a lot bigger than raiders quotes, guys. <laughs> like, I don't like to personalize everything, but the league wants the league to keep going, not just this specific one game out of this week and like – Again, as we said, it's something that could potentially help some guys on the Raiders, uh, like some of those guys that went on the list Monday, and it's pretty significant guys. I mean, we haven't gotten to the the specific names yet, but uh, Casey Hayward, who's been playing really well, Denzel Perriman, we saw the difference that he made coming back last week. And I think they have four or five linebackers now on on the reserve COVID list, so that room is pretty shorthanded. The secondary is pretty shorthanded, and if if those guys theoretically uh, were still testing positive on Saturday or Sunday, they would be out, but now there's a chance for them to play, so – uh, you know, it, it helps everybody in the league in terms of getting their back, their players back quicker. So just because Carson Wentz may be out there doesn't mean that it's a rule designed to, to hurt the Raiders.
3: Every rule is designed to hurt the Raiders. Come on the Monday morning testing has been kind of the the thing in the NFL. And now, now I mean, if you're a player, as long as you can stay away from symptoms, you almost just want to like, get it out of the way, get your test positive on Monday and know you're going to be okay to be clear to play it by Sunday. But obviously, hopefully everybody stays healthy. You know, we don't want anybody to, that's the thing, you know, you, the the whole point of all the protocols is, is to try to keep everybody as healthy as possible. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully the Raiders all stay that way. Hopefully the Colts all stay that way. And, Obviously, we know the impact, the the how, what's at stake in this game. I mean, the Raiders, two games to go. If they can win them both, they are in the playoffs. And you know, you the odds of them making the playoffs, if you you look around, are somewhere in that like 19, 20 percentile range. It, it, it's funny how for a team that controls their own destiny, they they're still considered to have low playoff odds, and that makes sense because these are not easy games that they have coming up, especially against Jonathan Taylor in that Colts running game now. But If you would want to face Jonathan Taylor, this is probably when you would want to face him. You're coming off of two weeks in a row where your run defense has been as good as it's been in a long time. Yeah, what they did to the Broncos who have a good rushing attack. Although the Broncos do not have a good offensive line, which is kind of, don't exactly go hand in hand, but they have kind of speaks more to the talent of their backs, but they don't have a great offensive line, and I think that's where the Raiders were able to take advantage of that. But you know, we know what they did to the Browns, who obviously were COVID depleted. But you you face two teams in the last two weeks that like to run the ball, and you've done a good job stopping it. So uh maybe that carries over into Sunday's game.
4: Yeah, I think the big thing would be whether the Colts. It looks like like we're saying today, Quentin Nelson's coming back. It looks like, and you know, I think a. Uh, Ryan Kelly, their starting center, he had been out with a personal matter. I think he's also expected to play this week. So I think the Colts were without, what, four of their five starters last week against the Cardinals. So if they're able to get their offensive line back, which is, you know, one of the best units in the league, I think it'll be a little harder to kind of have one of those Broncos tier performances. But I think the goal, you know, with a guy like Jonathan Taylor and the stats that he's putting up this this year is just – to kind of avoid him having one of those just utterly dominant games, you know, those 150 plus yards or multiple touchdowns, just going crazy on you. If he has like, you know, low a hundred yards and it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of pedestrian day for him. I think that's still considered a win, but I definitely think this will be tougher than the previous two matchups. Um, you know, given the Colts offensive line, the type of back Taylor is. And then also we have to see, uh, you know, for the Raiders, how does linebacker situation works out with, with COVID? Um, if Denzel Perriman isn't out there, if, if Jonathan Hankins, who missed last week, is able to come back this week. So there's a few moving parts, um, just kind of seeing uh, you know, who's, who's available in the trenches on both sides. Rewatching that
5: Broncos game, Darius Filon was huge in that game. He, he he was so disruptive. There were times where he did a quick little swim move and got right by the center and was, was in the backfield. You know, I, I don't think that kind of stuff happens against the Colts offensive line like you guys said, it's going to be a huge, a different challenge facing this type of awesome offensive line. That's a little more power-based that could move guys around too. So getting Hankins back will be, will be pretty big and just playing solid team defense. You know, I don't think that we're going to see the type of dominating performance we've seen the last two games against the Colts, but you got to hold, you got to stop the explosive runs. You can't let Taylor, you know, run, have a 60 yard run on you. That, that that's a big thing. If you could keep him, Kind of inefficient, or you know, keep them hopefully below five yards of carry and get Wentz into some third and longs. So I think you could pressure him to to mistakes. The line is not as good as pass blocking as they are in run blocking.
2: I think the Raiders the last two weeks they kind of stacked the box, so I think this week they had to do the same thing, got to stack the box and hopefully Carson Wentz makes some mistakes. Hopefully, you get some pressure on him and he makes some bad throws, which he has done in the past. But I think you take the game out of Taylor's hands and the Alliance hands hands. you know nine ten guys up there and if Wentz beats you 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 tip your cap and move on but i think you have to make sure that you do everything you can use all your manpower to not let them run the ball because they run the ball you've lost from
5: you know open kickoff so you got to make sure you kind of impose your own will against them and make sure they can't run the ball when you pressure Wentz you have to contain him too you know a lot of the plays he makes is when he he gets outside the pocket but if you keep him in the pocket and make him play in rhythm and you're able to get some edge pressure and he, he just he just makes mistakes he still puts the ball in in harm's way so that's a big key you know I, I know the Raiders will be able to, to get past these tackles with some pressure but they can't let him lose track of him let him get outside the pocket
3: obviously another big key for the Raiders you know as we record this Wednesday morning we're kind of waiting to see what happens at Wednesday's practice where Darren Waller maybe you know maybe he might be able to get back out there you know I think they expect expressed some maybe muted optimism that there was some chance of that happening. He's been out for a while and, and they've obviously missed him on offense.
2: It does seem like he's making some progress, maybe not the, the amount of progress where fans want to see, but it seemed like Rich besides you to know, talking about him on Monday, definitely said that uh, there's hope. It's optimistic uh, that he'd be out there today at practice. I think they're, they're trying to get him. out obviously, they need him. They want him, and they don't want to rush him. but it does seem like there's a chance. Whereas you know, in the past few weeks, maybe it seemed like there was, a, a great chance to play.
4: Yeah, it's been kind of interesting. Like they've, even though he hasn't been practicing, they, I think the last two weeks they list, listed him as doubtful. So I don't know why. I, I'm, I'm assuming he went from just being out to being doubtful. So he's making some sort of progress. They've been very uh, under the wraps with details, but basically, it sounds like he's he's trying to get his explosiveness back without having any pain that goes along with it, making cuts, sharp movements. I mean, obviously, they don't want. You know, especially this late in the season, have have him go out there and suffer some kind of, you know, serious knee injury that could carry over and into next year. It just wouldn't be worth it, even with the things that they have on the line. So I know fans probably a little frustrated, but big picture, you know, if Darren Waller, you know, misses a few games at the end of the year compared to maybe getting into some time next year, I think you take that.
3: It's funny how. Rich Massage went from at the start of his tenure, like taking notes to like injury updates that he was going to come back with the next time he talked. And now he's like more secretive than Gruden with uh, those injury updates. But uh, uh, yeah, two week to two week, man.
4: Two week to two week.
1: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
3: All right, let's take a few questions here, um, and we'll start with a couple that uh, they kind of hit on the same topic, uh, one from Justin B. and uh, from Glenn C., Uh, Justin, asks any news on the coaching search, who who they have scheduled uh, to interview and any rumors. Uh, Glenn C says, as in, I have no specific memory of John Madden, only a comment. I believe when you think of the Mount Rushmore of football greats, excluding players, it's George Hallis, Paul Brown, Al Davis and John Madden. It's for their work in making the game it is today. Uh, But his question is, says the Jaguars are already lining up their coaching candidates to interview, do you believe it's right for Davis to wait to do the same? I think. That's what Raider fans are seeing right now is that the Jags are are lining up all these interviews. The Raiders are not taking advantage of the two-week window. And I think it's a pretty simple answer. They are still in the playoff race. And as unlikely as or as, you know, as much as we may think that Rich Passaccia should not be the permanent guy, if your interim coach is in a position where he wins the final two games and they get into the playoffs, even if you replace him after a one-and-done playoff berth, I don't think you can be sitting there lining up your interviews while he's still trying to coach this team into the playoffs. I mean, it's a one in a million chance that they get into the playoffs and go on a Super Bowl run or anything like that. But I don't think you can be lining up interviews when that is still on the table.
4: Yeah, and also, like, if you're the the Raiders, I would hope that, like, the Jaguars job isn't the most appealing Trevor job, forget it I guess, Trent but like you know, the but you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta
3: work for Trent balky yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah, like the ineptitude of that franchise, like if a candidate is rushing to take the Jaguars job before he interviews with the Raiders, cool, I mean like I don't, I don't think, and that in combination with like them still being in the playoff hunt I don't think they should really be in that much of a rush it's a playoff a bust season and they haven't busted yet, so I think if you're like Davis
2: you stay true to your word, let these guys do their jobs and evaluate there's, there's no real rush. I mean, I'm sure Mark has a list of guys in his head who wants to talk to, and that list is not going to be impacted by the Jags' search or by doing it now versus in three weeks. So I think you wait. You give your players a chance to like win for this coach they like or, or the GM, and see where it goes. But yeah, I, I think there's. Um, I know a lot of national people are reporting about this guy, or that guy, and we're doing this. But yeah, it's just you know they're looking for clicks. So I just think it's. Uh, We'll wait We'll wait and see what happens this week well, if, they're, if they're eliminated, and then, then we'll go from there. But I, I know Mark Davis has a list of guys in his head, but I, he's not going to act on it until a year, especially
5: over. No Vince Lombardi on his Mount Rushmore? That should be an automatic one, right?
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I think one other point on, on the whole thing there is the Raiders are not typically a, a, an organization that likes to let that kind of information leak out in terms of coaches that they might be lining up to interview. Whereas with the Jaguars, I mean Trent Baalke has to have a plumber on call because he leaks so much. So um, I, even if the Raiders were lining up their own interviews, I don't, I don't think uh, they would be letting that stuff leak well, out. Let's back it
2: up one, one more step. I mean, you can't have a, a list of coaching guys bringing in if you don't know what the GM status is going to be. We don't know what Mike Mac status is next year, so. You got to decide how that's going to work, how the power structure will, will work next year. Then he can go forward. So it makes no sense to bring coaches in now, talk to them now, when you have no idea who the GM going to be next year.
3: Yeah, okay. I agree. All right, Benjamin C. wants to know, and this might be a good question for you, Ted. He said, how good has Cars Audibles been this year? Any recommendations for film folks who have looked into this? Do you have any recommendations for people that study film? <laughs> have, you, have you ever met anybody? You could do what the NFL
5: scouts do. You just listen to the, you know, TV copy and try to line them up with the, the plays being ran. And you know, there there's some obvious audibles and uh, there's also dummy audibles. So it's uh, it's I think it's pretty tough to tell for just a common fan. You know, some of these professional coaches that do this for a living will have a tough time with some of these dummy audibles and things like that too. It's fun to listen to and what they decide to name certain certain plays and all that and. Um, to me, it seems like Cards doing a little less of it than he has in the past, from what what I can tell. But yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to tell whether he's changing a play completely, or sometimes they have two play calls where he could kill the first call, or sometimes he's just changing the side of the run. Yeah, so I mean, it, without you, you, really have to study these audibles hard to be able to come up with an evaluation you don't know exactly what car is looking for to so if he calls an audible and the play works it's a good one if it, it doesn't it's a bad audible
3: i feel like we're hearing a lot of we're good this year. We're good. We're good. We're good. Sometimes they might be, you know, that would typically be like you're staying to the normal yeah, play, exactly. but you know, there probably is some, there probably, there, pro- there might be some kind of check in the play call where sometimes we're good it does become the audible. Who knows? Um, just uh, to, the fool people in the, uh, that are trying to study it. So question here from Jason B. Why was the run game so different this week? I can't imagine it just clicked in week 16. Was it a bad defense or did the coaches run a different scheme? Or was it really just better execution?
5: I think part of it is they simplified what they were doing. You know, I I thought this when I was watching them early in the season is that they were trying to do too much as far as their run scheme. with You know, and with a young offensive line, I I didn't think that was a good idea. And I thought they just kind of was like, screw it, we're going to do inside zone and we're going to get really good at it. And everybody knew what they were doing. They're coming off the ball hard and moving guys. So, you know, I, I think there was some slight, improvement going on as the season was going and it, and when they finally decided that they were just going to not try to do all this tricky stuff and just do what they do, they, they started moving guys. They have some size on the line.
2: I think it was a combination. I think things clicked in this one half. I think they saw some things in the Broncos pressure. They adjusted to some of their their looks and their, their fits and what the linemen were doing against these pressures. I also think uh, what I wrote about uh, after the game was I thought Josh Jacobs looked really, really good. Like, that's the best he's run in a long, long time. I think he was more aggressive. I think he was running through contact. I think um, – I just thought there was a whole different edge about him. And I think that will have to carry through the next two weeks they won't have a chance to make the playoffs. But I thought Josh Jacobs, to me, was a big difference that second half, the way
4: he ran the ball. Yeah, rewatching the game, Jacobs had a bunch of those kind of – one-on-one situations in the backfield with, with, with defensive lineman where he make him miss with a quick cut or a juke move or even in the open field once he got deeper downfield. And so, like, while the blocking was improved, he also – there were still some situations where maybe if he had looked how he did earlier in the season, maybe he gets tackled for a loss or a marginal gain and he turned those into pop plays and uh, in, in a run. So, it was definitely a combination of, of the two, I think.
5: I think the difference is that he, he had space to make guys miss because, you know, in the last – few games or throughout for most of the season even if there was more than one guy in the backfield you know and there was no space there was no push so you know when there's push and there's one guy there you, you have space to make a miss he could do it but I just think that throughout the season he just didn't have much room to maneuver and it just makes a difference when the line could push guys off the ball.
3: All right. Question here from John C says, RIP Coach Madden, without Waller and Ruggs, the receiving core is average at best. Do you think they can land a true number one? And could Carr take a team friendly deal to get Devontae Adams to come over to the Raiders? Who else would you go after or draft? John S piggybacks off that and says, is Carr really wanting to stay here? Is he willing to take less to allow the team to load up the roster with more talent while being able to
4: re-sign some of their own? where's this idea that, like, Carr needs to take less cover.
3: <laughs> he says he'll never like want to play for like, a team other than yeah, the Raiders. Yeah, but,
4: like, the shit that he's been through with this this franchise, and, like, all of a sudden he gets to his, this big money Super TV contract deal when the cap goes back up after COVID. He's like, yeah, I'm going to take less. No. Like, nobody. And the other thing is, like, the Raiders, they have, like... I think they're top 10 in cap space projected for this upcoming. We have to see what the cap number is, but like they have a lot of cap space and they have ways where they can create more cap space. So I don't think they necessarily need Derek Carr not to make QB money in order to sign some of these guys. Also, anyway, uh, when it, when it comes to like the number one wide out, I think that's definitely, you know, going to be a, a priority for them. This offseason, I mean, they, they obviously they thought they, they had one and it looked like they did have one, obviously, until what happened with that situation. But uh, there, there are some attractive free agents this year. You know, Chris Godwin is, is a guy that comes to mind. I don't know if he's a true number one. but And he's obviously uh, going to miss
3: probably a good chunk of next season. Yeah,
4: Devontae Adams. And uh, even though he's not having the best season this year, a guy like Allen Robinson, who we've seen perform well before. So there'll be there'll be veteran receivers out there. I think that may be. This is another, I mean, every, it seems like every receiver class is deep now, but there aren't as many, you know, dominant, clear-cut first-round prospects uh, this year. It's kind of like a bunch of guys mixed together. So, I mean, if there's a guy that they love in the draft, sure, but, you know, if they do want to go out and get a receiver, it does seem like it makes more sense to get, get more of an established veteran who's, who's shown themselves, and they should have the money. Uh, to do so, given their, their cap situation,
2: it took a year, but we saw the impact that Rugs had. and Obviously, they went out and got the fastest guy in, in the draft, and then he definitely had a huge impact this year, and they kind of give their offense a whole different look. So I think it's if, you're, if I'm them, it's like you know what we got to do that again. We got to get another guy make sure in the draft who's a very fast guy who can make plays and get you know offense that a punch it needs. So I think it's uh it's pretty simple in my mind that definitely you know mid first round. Or maybe it's the, I don't think
5: for second round, but maybe mid first round
2: you get like you know
5: the most impactful, uh, fastest receiver. You know, from the guys I've talked to, I haven't really got into studying receivers yet. That it, it looks like a pretty deep receiver class. So, you know, if you look historically, teams have found a lot of success finding receivers in a second round. So, I don't think you necessarily have to spend your first round pick on a receiver if you decide to go that route. So, you know, you, you there's potentially some second round guys especially in a deep class that the Raiders could look at and you know, obviously the dream is to get Devonte Adams and reunite him with with Derek Carr, but I, I just think if Aaron Rodgers decides to stay with Green Bay, I just don't think there's any way that he he leaves Green Bay because they have such a good connection over there and you know, it's just a huge part of why he, he's so productive that um yeah, it's hard for me to see him leave unless uh they decide to move on from Rodgers.
2: I think the whole Adams thing is the most overhyped rumor I've heard in a long I mean I don't know. I know I understand he was joking about it. Derek's mentioned it a few times about are best friends, yada, yada, yada. But, one, why would he leave Green Bay? I mean, why would they not bring back Grand Rodgers after he's to be MVP this year? And then, two, they don't even know Derek Carr's future is going to be in, in, for Raiders. He's the Raiders. Now he's bringing that guy in to be his guy because they're best friends. Taking I less think. money. Taking less money as well. I take like you know, there's so many holes in this possible scenario and people keep talking about it. So if you're a Raiders fan, and you're pining people on Twitter are like, hey man, think if you're pining for Devonta Adams, I'd take take a take a chill pill, relax. I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think it's really it makes sense, but I wouldn't really bank on it happening because I think there's other options that make more sense and more. Well Adams
4: is gonna probably get the richest receiver contract of all time. So they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna sign him to that and also paid what are you gonna play? Derek Carr like Derek Carr quarterback quarterback the quarterback take a pay cut so we can get a receiver the biggest deal of all time and it
2: no this this makes sense but whatever I mean it's it's good people get excited so Merry Christmas
4: our
3: last question kind of plays off that you know with all the money they're gonna save with that team friendly deal for Derek Carr John S asks which players will need to be re-signed this offseason aside from the fifth year option guys which you've discussed is it Max Crosby and Trayvon Mullen? at least it's a positive that some homegrown talent regardless of draft position might deserve their second contracts here it's been bleak obviously all those guys from that that 2019 draft they will be entering their fourth year I don't think Trayvon Mullen is going to have much of a case for saying you need to extend me before I play out the last year of my contract. Just, you know, his, his availability this year, um, you know, he I think he's going to have to go and do his last year of his deal with something to prove. And if he does, then you talk an extension maybe during next season, maybe after next season. But I, I don't think he's going to be a guy that you're going to look at, at extending in the offseason. But it is Max Crosby. Max Crosby will need an extension in the offseason. He's the kind of guy that, the, you know, especially as, as a later round draft pick, hasn't had the big money contract. He's not going to go play next year, I, I would think, without an extension. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's time to uh, open up the checkbook for Max Crosby.
2: What's of run for Hunter Run for also. Is, I mean, he just matched uh, you know, Tim Brown and Jay Rice for a uh, number of catches he has this year. So I just think he's a guy who he's not going to demand more money, but I, they love him. He loves him here. So i imagine. They make something work out long term. Pretty soon with him, also.
3: What kind of money for a slot receiver? What do you think? Is that is that twelve million? Is that?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that sounds pretty reasonable. And I, I think Hunter's – I mean, I think he's uh, definitely a guy who will think in terms of the you know, taking less for a team. I don't need a lot. I mean, I think he's a very low key guy who has overachieved and overcome whatever he thought probably was possible in terms of you know impact this early in his career. So I think any kind of long term deal in, in a neighborhood would be fine for him. I think.
5: I love that we have to mention Hunter Renfro with Jerry Rice and and Tim Brown now.
3: And Darren Waller, he he's got a chance to break Darren because Darren Waller set the receptions record. It kept getting talked up on on the broadcast last week about him, you know, being up there with Tim Brown and, and and Jerry Rice for receivers that have top ninety catches. But it is worth remembering Darren Waller set the actual franchise record for receptions last season. So a tight end does hold that franchise record. But uh, but obviously Renfro will have a chance in the last couple of weeks to break that.
2: How many does he need, like 15
3: in two weeks? Waller was 107 catches and Renfro's at 92. He has slowed down the last few games, so 15 catches in the last two games. I, I don't know if he'll get there, but um, he got a chance. He'll get
2: there. I mean, even like you figure this week, I don't know what happens this week, but if they lose this week, I guarantee you Derek Carr throws some 12 passes in the finale. So uh, if they win, they'll probably be factoring that win this week. So I
3: think I he'll think get there. So he's only had six catches the last two weeks.
5: With this new 17-game schedule, we have to kind of move on from looking at volume stats to looking at per-game stats, you know, because obviously the extra game is so so big. That's too complicated. No one's doing that.
3: <laughs> Redfro needs to break Waller's record this week. He needs 16 uh, catches against the Colts.
2: Uh, it, it makes sense. It's logical, but no one's going to say Yeah, He has a record of 8.3. No one's going to
5: do that. I mean, it's just dumb. Uh, uh, but you're right. But That's, just the, way, that's the way life works you don't want Renfro to be this productive again, you know, because obviously he's a very good receiver, but you don't want to run your entire offense through Hunter Renfro. So hopefully, you know, in the future you get a a number one, you get Darren Waller back, and you can spread the ball out. But, you know, like, I don't think your offense is going to be scoring a ton of points if you're just, like, throwing to Renfro 20 times a game or whatever the number is.
4: I think another guy maybe they could look to – I mean, obviously they should want to re-sign Casey Hayward, I would say, from what he's shown this year. He was on a one-year deal. And outside of that, I mean, you know, it's kind of, he's kind of similar. It's not not really the same as Trayvon Mullen, but, but Darren Waller, you know, he's on a very, I would say team friendly deal for what we've seen from him as of late. And so maybe, maybe he's a guy that tries to leverage his way into a pay raise, but again, you know, with him not playing quite like himself this year and and having some injury issues, maybe, maybe that's something for, for further down the line. All
3: right. So I'm looking up, uh, over the cap does their uh, valuations what what these guys uh, what they va- say these guys are worth. They have Hunter Renfro worth 8.7 million, so uh, you know maybe you can get him like you know four years 36 million or something like that. Probably not. You know may- maybe four years 40 million something like that, or maybe around the 10 million a year. That that wouldn't be too bad. For Max Crosby, they've got his valuation at 26 million, and uh, I mean. Everybody freaked out when uh, when Khalil Mack was going to give the Raiders two guys making over twenty million. But uh, I, I mean, at minimum, Max Crosby is going to want you would think twenty million, and and I mean, I would think he's he's talking in that twenty five million dollar range. He could be talking about a four year, hundred million dollar type contract.
4: Yeah, I mean, he's he's leading the league and he's leading the league in pressures, and he's turned out to be like a league average run defender. Like, so if you're arguably the the most productive pass rusher in the league, and you're a solid run defender that's probably like a top 10 defensive end and top 10 defensive ends get $25 million usually. So, I mean, it makes sense.
3: Yeah. I mean, especially his, you look at his cap number this year is 1.04, 1 million and 45,000, like 1.045 million. Um, that's the beauty of drafting a guy in round four and having him uh, be as good as he is. I mean, he's going to make like you know 3.3 million over the first four years of his contract. So especially when you're in that position, you're, you're going to want to get paid with this contract. The other guy we mentioned, Casey Hayward, his OTC valuation 16.3 million. He's had a good year. I don't I don't see the Raiders paying up 16.3 million for uh, for him at, at his age, but um, it would be nice to find a way to bring him back.
2: It'll be funny because he obviously didn't get much of a, a lot of bites in free agency. That's why he was able to come here in the end. So I wonder if that will change now. Will teams look at him differently? Will he be like he's a year older? Obviously he had a great year, but um, I don't know, man. Is he going to be a guy that teams all of a sudden didn't like that much last year? Now like, oh, we got to have Casey Edwards. So maybe you get a decent deal there for the Raiders. Maybe bring him back. If he likes it here, he's played well. Again, though, so much is up in the air with uh, you know with the coaching staff and Gus Bradley. I mean, who knows? They've been closely tied. So, if Bradley's not back, they want to come back. So, a lot of these questions will be answered like in the coming months. All
3: right, guys. Well, let's make some predictions for Sunday's game. Raiders heading to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. That we think will probably end up with Carson Wentz back, but if not, uh, it could be Sam
4: Sam Ellinger, Texas legend.
3: I was excited for a minute when our colleague Zach Kiefer uh, had, had said that they were uh, there were some talks about giving Phillip Rivers a call, and it's like bill for for entertainment value like n- not not based on greatness but just for entertainment value he's probably one of my favorite nfl quarterbacks of, of all time to watch just because I mean, you don't know what the fuck's going to happen like he he just he could just do some crazy stuff he could he could do some great stuff he could do some crazy stuff you know i think vic and i we we definitely remember that one game where the chargers just came into oakland and said yeah we don't trust the, the raiders secondary i'm just going to drop back and just heave balls down the field all game and Raiders got a few interceptions, they hit a few big plays, and I don't even remember who, who won that game, but I remember just Rivers was just like, Yeah, I am just it's just gonna play YOLA ball all day and he he's fun to watch. But that's not gonna happen. But probably Carson Wentz. Um he will have Quentin Nelson back. We'll see about Darius Leonard. Would ex- assume he is able to get back, but uh, all right. Raiders, uh if they can get all their guys back, uh, what do we think?
4: I think if the Colts have Carson Wentz and it looks like the offensive line is pretty much coming back together. Uh, Darius Leonard's coming back. I think I view it pretty much how I viewed it before this week, which was this is probably where hope comes to an end. In term- well, not technically, because they'll probably mathematically still be in it even if they lose this week. But I don't think they can beat the Colts without the Colts being COVID shorthanded, which it seems like they're not going to be anymore. So I uh, do Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I know the you know, run defense has been improved. I think the combination of him and his Colts offensive line is just different. Carson Wentz, uh, he's really – cut down on the turnovers this year. Um, I know we we remember his his disastrous season last year with the Eagles um, and how he's looked in, but he's done better at protecting the ball and not making those game-breaking mistakes. And their defense, you know, has been one of the most adept at at taking away the ball this year. I think they're, like, top three in turnovers for us, and the Raiders have really struggled with turnovers as of late. And so I think if those turnover issues continue uh, with how the Colts run the ball, uh, I think the Colts end up pulling, pulling away with this one.
2: Yeah, I think the defense, uh, they bailed out Derek Carr the last couple of weeks. I think uh, the offense uh, is shorthanded. So I would think you need Darren Waller back. And even on the other side of the ball, I need Denzel Perryman to make sure he comes back uh, off the COVID list. So those two guys were back. and I knew that. I think the Raiders have a shot. But uh, I will pick the Colts. I picked against the Raiders the last two weeks, and I've been wrong. So I'm going to ride that hot streak against them again. I'll say 30-20 Colts. I think Wentz does enough against this defense to... uh, Effectively, and the Raiders
4: playoff hopes. I'll do twenty-eight seventeen. 28-17, I bet. I the score.
5: Yeah, you know, I, even if Waller plays, he's probably not going to be full strength. So I just don't see how this offense could consistently move the ball against that defense if, if Darius Leonard is playing. And, yeah, nobody has been able to stop Jonathan Taylor this year. So I think the Raiders' defense has been better the last couple of weeks, but I just don't know if they continue being as disruptive as they were against this offensive line with the talent they have and Taylor just being so good at making guys miss. So yeah, I I got Colts winning this one 27 to 17.
3: Yeah, so the Colts are six and a half point favorites. I think that line has probably swung a bit here and there. I've, I haven't been studying it the whole time, but I think it probably swung a bit when it looked like they were going to be uh, you know, without Wentz and, and with it you know, really COVID depleted. But um, with the new policy, you know, it's back up six and a half points. I think the Raiders are able to keep it closer than that, but I think it's going to be you know, on the relatively low scoring end. Uh, so I'll go Colts uh, 24, Raiders 21. So congratulations, the Raiders are going to win this game because we all picked against them. So uh, Raiders are going to stay in, the, stay alive in the playoff hunt and uh, they're going to be on track for a win in their end game against uh, the Chargers in Week 18. So uh, you're, you're welcome, Raider fans. But all right, that'll wrap up our edition of State of the Nation. We will be back, of course, on Sunday to, uh, to get you all set up for Week 18, see what happens with the Raiders and the Colts, see if they are still alive, still in control of their own destiny in the playoff hunt. And uh, should be a good game. And uh, we'll see if the Raiders can slow down another elite passing. Uh, yeah. We'll see if the Raiders can slow down another elite rushing attack. All right, sir. So... <laughs> Later, guys. Adios.